Fascinating how many of us in early recovery forget, almost immediately, what it was like to be so hopelessly miserable. Man, I never want to go back to that horrible place, rummaging through somebody's pants pockets while they slept and stealing from the purses of women I worked with. All I needed was a couple of bucks, just enough to get a little something that could pull me back up and into the day so I could function like a normal person whatever that was. Drugs and alcohol had quickly become the most important things I did, whether I wanted to do them or not. These activities were no longer my choice, and that's a fucked up feeling. I don't think I was aware there was anything I could actually do about my predicament other than swearing this would be the last time, which it never was. I said these words to myself while searching doorways along streets I was scared to be on, while waiting in line at the liquor store, one of several I frequented, just in case the people who worked there might think I drank too much. I was amazed how within days of detoxing and stitching together a few 24 hours of abstinence in a row, I started feeling better physically. I wasn't throwing up anymore or running a fever. I'd stopped shitting my pants, and that was a big plus. Despite everything I'd done, my husband hadn't left me. Still, thoughts of drinking and using returned. At the suggestion of a therapist who, in the beginning, didn't know what he was talking about, I found myself at these weird meetings that took place in church basements in the middle of the day, where the people were friendly and overall seemed happy to be there. They carried themselves with thoughtful confidence, addressing issues that seemed impossible for me to consider. When I wasn't crying, I tried to explain to this group how hard it was for me to concentrate on basic tasks, as if they'd never heard this before. How I wasn't really into showing up for much beyond eating and sleeping, and that I felt guilty doing both. When are things going to get better, I whined. After all, I'd been sober for a minute, and I had a lot of problems that needed fixing, like right away. Where was my instant gratification? which is what booze and pills did for me. They took my mind and body to an alternate location where I could be someone else. I didn't have to deal with difficult situations or uncomfortable feelings or assholes who rubbed me the wrong way. That's a pretty sweet deal if you have no long-range plans. Within my home group recently, I heard a newcomer groan about focus issues and her lack of motivation. It brought back so many memories. When I was eight or nine years old, my best friend Noreen came to school wearing glasses. They totally changed the way she looked. She got attention from the other kids in the class, and I was jealous. I started making a fuss to the teacher and my mom, how I couldn't see the blackboard. I pretended I had headaches, lying in bed with a washcloth across my forehead. Eventually, I was taken to the eye doctor where they tested my vision. 
Because I was determined to transform myself, I purposely botched the eye exam, guessing Z instead of Q, B instead of W, numbers where there were letters. After a brief selection process, whereupon my mother said no to every style I chose, I was issued a pair of modest prescription frames that I couldn't see out of. I wore them every day, trying hard not to let on that the world had become blurry. I didn't want them to take away my new identity. I wasn't smart or pretty or funny, and I liked having this little extra something to set me apart from the others. So I kept wearing my glasses, closing one eye and then the other, which helped some, but not much. A year later, I was back at the optometrist for a checkup. This time, I really did need corrective lenses, and I've worn glasses ever since, except for periods in active addiction where they've been snapped in half or stomped on by angry boyfriends. I never had any spare money to replace them because, you know, drugs and stuff. So I went without. Wait a minute. Why was I telling you this? Oh yeah, focus issues. So as I was listening to this young lady share some details about what she was going through, all of which was completely relatable, I couldn't help but think this dilemma is not exclusive to early sobriety. It happens to all of us. Most days I can't put two thoughts together without being sidetracked by some strange bit of bullshit that crawls through the open flap of the circus tent I call my brain. Hey, little fella, what are you doing here? Thirteen hours later, I'm still in my pajamas and nothing substantial has been accomplished. Except that I've watched the entire second season of The Handmaid's Tale and purchased fancy yarn on the internet, which I may or may not ever knit with. Oh my God, just try to stop me from looking up the definition of nitwit right now. You can't. A frivolous or foolish person. There are truly no accidents. When I was getting high, I'd convinced myself I was far more productive on my drugs of choice. I went to work. I got all the cleaning done. I cooked the dinner. I anticipated everyone's needs before they even asked. That's how sharp I was on my shit. I had no use for food or sleep or annoying questions about my behavior. Just leave me alone so I can take this telephone apart with a butter knife and tear loose leaf paper into tiny little pieces for reasons you wouldn't understand. Oh boy, those are the days. And I do mean days upon endless days of robotic wheel spinning with no rest or breaks from the chaos I kept creating. Yes, Clarity comes and goes, but at least I'm sober and free of all that obsession of the mind. So what if my brain wanders and I get a little turned around here and there? I've learned that focus is a muscle, one that I can build over time. The way I see it, occasional distractions are a small price to pay for the joy I've found and the gifts I continue to receive in recovery. In addition to the obvious steps I can take to stay energized about my goals, things like watching what I eat, getting enough rest, and simplifying my environment whenever possible, I try to remember to keep God and my program close, especially when obstacles and curveballs attack my serenity. If I'm wrestling with an assignment that challenges my attention span, I need not panic or despair. 
I give all of my concerns and frustration to my higher power. Please take these things from my mind. They are seriously bumming me out. Straightforward communication is the best approach. I don't want to make God guess what I need. And I can't afford to wait until the end of the day to talk about my feelings. I don't have that kind of emotional bandwidth. If I were swimming in the ocean, which is an unlikely scenario because I can't swim, so forget that. If I was drowning, I wouldn't wait until I was back on dry land to cry out for help. I'd be dead. Perhaps I'm having a hard time keeping a promise or meeting a deadline. I know. Why not add a fruitless serving of worry? I bet the nice folks involved in the commitment I've made will be mad and won't like me as much if I ask for more time to get this job done. You know what? They probably hate me anyway. Fuck them. God, I need you, is the prayer I reach for. When my fear starts calling the shots, no one can reassure me like he can. My higher power is on my side, and I feel safe in his care. Everything that must get done will be addressed as God sees fit. In his time, not mine. I trust that he's aware of the specifics of my situation, and he has the outcome. Truth be told, I may just want some reliable company while I process the finer points of my discomfort. Is that so wrong? Of course not. I can always call other alcoholics whose programs I admire. I know a ton of them. I never have to do any of this alone. Talking to folks who understand opens up opportunities to be listened to, loved, and prayed for. I can move forward through unpleasant situations with practical support. The experiences we share with one another remind me that I am not unique. My feelings aren't facts and they do not last forever. I can survive them among friends with my sobriety intact and my faith restored. I can't help but think about that big machine they use at the eye doctor. You know, the one that's shaped like a periscope. It checks where your vision's at and where it should be. When they position it close to your face and drop all these lenses, one at a time, in front of your right eye and then your left, they ask, based on what you see, do things look better or worse? And we get to choose. How about now? Better or worse? Once more, better or worse? We respond as best we can. That's what life feels like sometimes. A little fuzzy and then clear. Blurry for a minute or two and resolved. Better, worse. Better, worse. All day long, glimpses of joy. I thank God for these amounts, actually. I don't know if I could handle anything bigger. Mm-hmm.